The back and forth continues on whether there will be some sort of government shutdown by the end of the week. Members of Congress continue to try and find some resolution that either everyone can live with or few enough people can't. To gain some insight on what's happening, Federal Drive host Tom Temin had a chance to speak with Virginia Democrat Don Beyer, whose district contains several federal employees that could be affected. All right. So you are on the Democratic side. And so you have a yes, very different view. Democrat of the, from Virginia. Yep. And you have a very different view of the world, you know, from some of the Republicans. And they're divided among themselves. What could possibly resolve this? Can anybody move? Does only one side have to move? Do you all have to move? I mean, how do you look at it? Uh, well, I think it's pretty clear that Kevin McCarthy has tried many different ways already to get uh, a consensus in his caucus. And really, that doesn't mean a majority of his caucus. He's got to get almost every one of them. Um, because if he only gets, if he misses five or six or seven, that's the margin that he has with Democrats. That's why he's been un- unable to bring a lot of bills to the floor in the last 10 days. But there is an easy solution, and that's to go back just a few months to our almost shutdown over the debt ceiling. And when Kevin McCarthy and President Joe Biden negotiated a deal about what the top line spending levels would be for fiscal year 2024. And everyone sacrificed. A lot of people voted no from the right and the left because they weren't happy with the compromise. But it was a compromise. It did pass both houses. It was signed by the president. It said fiscal year 2024 will have the same top line numbers that fiscal year 2023 had. I know inflation has been as high as 9% during this last year and as low as 3 But certainly it's going to cost a lot more to run government. So it's a big moving backwards. Virtually every Democrat would vote for that budget. I think many Republicans would. That's what's coming out of the Senate. That's the deal. It's pretty clear. It seems like, though, that if you just going from a mathematical basis, if all the Democrats and just you don't need that many more of the Republicans to get it passed in the House, you don't need two thirds. No, no, you don't. But you do need to be able to get the bill onto the floor. Right. And there. There's no automatic way to bring a bill to the floor other than to do something called a discharge petition, where a majority of the House, 218 people, have to sign their name in a little book. And when 218 is hit, then it starts a clock. And over the next couple of days, the Speaker has to bring that bill to the floor for a vote. It's rarely been used. I think the last time successfully, the only time in my nine years there was over the uh, Export-Import Bank. That everyone was for, except for the chairman of the Republican House Financial Services Committee. And because he was a chairman, he held it up. And we had to literally go around him to do the discharge petition to get the vote on the floor. And then it passed easily. Right. And so then that becomes the political problem that Kevin McCarthy has, which, you know, it's really outside of anybody's control except him and his that piece of the caucus there that uh, that has that sort of Damocles over his head. We, we all talk about how the thing that Speaker Kevin McCarthy is afraid of is that if he compromises or is seen to compromise, that they will do something called a motion to vacate the chair, where basically they say, we're going to vote to throw you out. My instinct is that that motion wouldn't be successful anyway, that he has nothing to fear. But I, I guess when the motion is, should we keep our speaker or not, he's afraid that his speakership might be short-lived. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the shutdown from the governmental standpoint. 
I mean, we've all lived through these things. My first experience with a federal shutdown was during the Clinton administration. And I think up till then, it had been a long time. And now they seem to be regular occurrences. And yeah, and then, Tom, I'd point out that every time it's been in a Congress controlled by the Republicans. And with Newt Gingrich, twice with Donald Trump, now driven by the Freedom Caucus and Kevin McCarthy's Republican House. Just just a comment. Right. Well, OK. Yeah. On this show, we, we, we don't take sides, but we, we I know, I, but I know that, we don't. But, but that is a fact. The difference that, you know, I'm trying to be fair writ large. Um, Democrats are there because we want government to be to work, to be good government, to take people, advance our country. And Republicans are largely there because they want to, you know, keep things the way they were. They're the champions of the status quo and they don't necessarily like government. Um, they, they quote all the time the, the government, that government governs best, that governs least. So it's very different perspectives than on spending within government. Well, that gets to the question that seems to be the real one that's underlying this, and it's by proxy over the relatively small portion of the budget, maybe a quarter of actual spending that is represented by the discretionary budget that doesn't seem to be able to be passable at the moment. And that is the rising interest rates, therefore raising the amount of federal outlays to do the debt service of a deficit and therefore set of public debt that is rising. I mean, it's trillions and $30 trillion and so on. And the entitlement spending is runaway. Again, this is not to say it's good, bad, or here's what we should do about it. But could they possibly be using this as a way to get maybe Congress in a much larger sense to look at the fact that Treasury takes in $2 trillion a year and $6 trillion a year go as outlays or something like that? Yeah, yeah. You put your finger. It's a little complicated, but it's also pretty straightforward. You know, we are spending roughly 20 percent of GDP every year on federal government spending, and we're raising about 16, 16 and a half percent in terms of taxes. So that four or five percent difference is our is our deficit. And the way you address it, number one, is you make sure that people that owe taxes pay it right now. You and I have a 1099 or a W-2. 99% of our taxes are paid fairly and on time. If, you, if your income is not coming that way, if it's coming through trading stock or selling big businesses, less than half of the actual owed taxes are paid. Um, with I have a couple of bills with Elizabeth Warren, with Steve Cohen and others to have a tax on people with net incomes greater than $50 million a year, a surtax on people making two million, more than $2 million a year. Won't affect their lives at all, but it would close that gap. And then, Tom, the hard part is the those automatic spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and interest on the debt, is 80% of the budget. Right. Another 10% is our defense budget, which no one wants to touch. That means we have to find all the savings we want in the last 10%. And that's everything else, State Department, Department of, Edu- Energy, Department of Education, Customs and Border Patrol, all those things that are really important. Somehow you have to you know, make cuts that affect a huge budget on just the last 10 percent. Yes. And that seems to be that's not really possible. I mean, no, no, it's not, which is why some of the, the things they're throwing out are all dead on arrival in the Senate. And they'd be dead on arrival with the American public if they ever got that far. Right. So therefore, what 
do we do long term here? Because yeah, well, well, that that's a really it's a really important question, uh, and and it's really interesting. The the Republicans, really at the behest of Donald Trump, have said we're not allowed to look at Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security, but we should. John Larson, a member of Congress from Connecticut, Democrat, for years has had a bill called Social Security 2100 that would fix Social Security through the end of this century. We just have to put it on the floor, and, and I think it would pass. On Medicare, 31% of our Medicare budget is just dialysis, end-stage renal disease. We're not going to fix that overnight, but we need to address obesity in America. There's so much sugar, so many processed foods that that are driving up something that doesn't have to be there. Those are decisions that we sadly make. On Even on Medicaid, your Medicaid is basically being, being given to people that are low income, the working poor. It's not that hard to imagine an economy where we lift wages everywhere so that we don't have working poor. We actually have a middle class again. And that would drive our Medicaid budget way, way down. There are structural things we can do that would, would give us big surpluses in the years to come. Instead, we're trying to pick on you know, let's let's zero out NASA <laughs> or, or the Department of Energy and, and try to do it that way. And with respect to just getting back to the tax issue, I mean, since Michael Dukakis ran for president, that was one of his premises. Let's tax the people that aren't paying what they call fair share. But you have a tax code and the tax code is supposed to reflect fair share. And so, I mean, and and, and it, it clearly doesn't. I, and the number we have uh, 735 billionaires in America, and their average tax rate last year was eight percent. I promise you, uh, yours and mine is probably somewhere in the mid 30s. What's your message to federal employees who've got to live with this? Who are most, oh. for the most part, dedicated public servants that just want to go to work? Well, first, God bless you and thank you, and and I'm so sorry that you're having to put up with this, that th- this sort of Damocles, this anxiety hanging over your head that we may shut down in just a couple of days. You know, ultimately, you federal employees will get paid, but you're not going to get paid right away. And I don't know who's going to pay your mortgage or, or your child care bill or put groceries on the table. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being resilient. And for the contract uh, federal contract workers, of whom there are many, many, um, they're never going to get paid. And, and they're just, um, we're throwing them under the bus. And it's, it's very sad. So I, all, all I can tell you is we will try to do everything we possibly can to pump up the nonprofits and state and local governments to try to get you through this. Congressman Don Beyer represents Virginia's 8th District. As always, great speaking with you. Thank you very much, Tom. It's wonderful to talk to you. Good luck. House Representative Don Beyer represents Virginia's 8th District. You can find this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive.